I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello and welcome back to the RHS Gardening Podcast. I'm Tony Dickerson, one of the Horticulture Advisory Team here at the RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey. Each fortnight we bring you a mixture of features and discussions exploring every aspect of gardening, as well as expert seasonal advice on what you should be doing in your garden right now. Plus, we bring you behind-the-scenes reports from the stunning RHS flower shows and give you exclusive guides to beautiful gardens to visit. Coming up in today's podcast... We celebrate Britain in Bloom as we focus on the RHS's Edible Britain campaign, which aims to help build over 2,000 edible gardens in public spaces around the country. We'll be talking to Edible Britain's ambassador, Chef Raymond Blanc, and visiting the launch event in Bermondsey, South London. As always, we have essential tips on what you should be doing in your garden now from the team here at RHS Garden Wisley. We'll be concentrating on common problem pests, clematis wilt and sowing annuals. Plus, I'll be joining my colleagues in the advisory team to answer your gardening questions. But first, we head down to the White Ground Estate in London to find out more about this year's Britain in Bloom campaign, Edible Britain. Hello, I'm Sue Biggs, Director General of the RHS, and we're here today to launch Edible Britain at the launch of Britain in Bloom. It's a fantastic campaign, really, at Britain in Bloom itself is Britain's biggest gardening movement. And here today, we're really looking at as many people as possible throughout the whole country whether you've got a balcony a tub a big garden a small garden to really start growing your own and really having that joy of actually picking your own fruit picking your own vegetables your own salad and really have them right there on your doorstep it's a fantastic way to actually enjoy gardening my name is Raymond Blanc and uh, I'm the chef patron of Le Manoir Quatre Saisons and Brasserie Blanc and with the Royal Horticultural Society Britain's in Bloom and Edible Gardens we are creating a fantastic project where 3,064 communities are taking part, where the whole of Great Britain as a community are growing their plants, are growing their vegetables on raised beds, on balcones, uh, into hanging baskets. It's an enormous, fantastic, extraordinary reconnection with food. Let's grow our own food. Well, it's, it's launching here today. Uh, we're right here in the centre of London, and it's fantastic looking at the shard in the background and right here in the middle of this lovely estate that we've actually got these beds all planted up with fantastic vegetables. There's all sorts of savoy cabbage and peas and cucumbers and aubergines all planted up so that this community here can come together and actually enjoy gardening together, picking the fruit and vegetables themselves so that they can all share that together as a community. 
My name's John Paul Maytum. I'm chair of Leather Market JMB, which is the resident organisation that runs this estate. We're here in a sort of 1920s London built-up council estate, and it's just a little strip of grass between two blocks. Uh, and in the middle of it, we've, we've got nine square planters and little circles of brick. It's funny, we've got the railway line behind us and we've brought the railway engineers to help us make these things from railway sleepers and make the, the, the brickwork. So this, this sort of barren bit of scrappy glass, grassland has been turned into these beautiful beds. Some of them are flower beds, some of them are, uh, are herbs. I'm Carol Wright and I'm the lead gardener on this uh, white ground food growing and wildlife garden. Um, been working on the project for four months with residents, corporate volunteers. The residents have been coming out and supporting the garden on a Tuesday morning and one Sunday per month. The residents have been very vigilant. The residents have been coming out, planting up, watering and um, providing what we call natural surveillance. They've been looking out of their windows, making sure nobody walks off with any of their herbs or the vegetables in the 12 beds which we have on site. We also have an orchard here. We have apple trees, pear trees and quinces. So, you know, one day soon people will be seeing white's ground, quince, jams and chutneys. Um, We'll be doing inspirational tours from here we're going to twin this project with Raymond Blanc's um, local community garden so that they can come here to central London and we can go on trips to Oxford it's very important community gardening uh, particularly when you're looking at um, issues to do with five a day we're in an urban environment we don't have many spaces around here where people have their own back gardens many people have to come and garden in a communal space like this and also to teach people about health and nutrition children are able and adults as well to see how food is grown tomatoes onions we've got here beetroot and also about crop rotation so skills which their ancestors would have had naturally we're we're reinstilling it we're we're reintroducing them showing them the cost of herbs which are freshly grown and organic as compared to things which they're getting in supermarkets so there's a lot for people to learn and come out and do but the main thing i think is you know getting people to know who their neighbours are. Hello, um, I'm Maurice Lewis and I've been helping here on this community project with Carol. Basically, what me and my colleague here, Billy, do you want to introduce yourself, Billy, and I'll carry on? Hello, my name's Billy Nikan. Yeah, I was saying to Maurice earlier this morning that after building the spiral like this, I could probably do something like that once I get my own house with a garden, obviously and then do something in the back garden and get my little girl to, to put some veg or something on it because I have a little two-year-old girl. So. And that's, that's a good thing about, about what we've done here, this, mm. this little project, because we're builders. We can build the shards, you know. <laughs> we, we can do amazing things and we can fly men to the moon. Why can't we put flower, <laughs> flowers into green spaces in London, you know? You, you need living space, yes, but what about nice space? What about somewhere where you can come, the sun's shining, you know, you can sit down, lay a little blanket out, you're going to have the smell of the herbs, you're going to have, you know, there's strawberries planted there, thyme, sage, there's all different kinds of plants there. I mean, this is what it should be for all the little green spaces. I mean, this space here, what would it be used for? You know, for people to walk their dogs. Everyone should should get involved. If you grow your own vegetables, okay, in your own garden, first, there's sheer joy 
okay, the sheer pride of do, of doing it, okay, is that's one thing. And then you get better at it, and you learn all the little tricks, okay, how to keep the birds away, how to keep the the tape, the worms, or how to keep the snails or the mice, whatever. So you learn all these tricks, okay, all the because the garden has got many enemies, okay. You have to protect your garden. You've got to love it, hug it, protect it, okay. So when you've done that, of course, and you grow these plants, of course, things taste better. If you've got no gardening knowledge, and I think the thing is not to be put off, so don't be overly ambitious, I would start with cress. Cress is really lovely, and particularly if you're working with children. Cress seeds are very inexpensive. You can start grow that in egg cartons, or what's fun is to put some cotton wool in a, an emptied-out egg shell with, and sprinkle some seeds on. That's what we've done here, and draw a face on the front. So it looks like a little afro or some hairstyle. So that's the basics. Cress is easy and fail-safe way to start. And then you can progress to radishes, also every, another safe crop. And you can see what you're looking for when you're a new gardener is an instant result, successful, so that then it, you're not depressed when something doesn't work out. And then from that, salad leaves. Salad leaves are wonderful. You know, we have um, some salad leaves on here. And you can do cut and come again. So if you've just got a little pot on your windowsill, your window box, if you have no large garden space, you just cut off a few leaves at a time in growing season, use that in your salad or to garnish a dish, and then it will grow back, you know, in about a month's time. So, you know, you're just progressing from cress to radishes. So stick around the salads to begin with. And then when you feel more ambitious, you know, have some herbs. Also potatoes. Start grouping things together. If you can grow one, then you can have the skills to move on to the next family member. It has made the world of difference. You, you know, even people just passing through have said how much it brightens the estate and how much, how much it makes them feel better about where they live. Which you know, in inner city to London, does make the world of difference. And the, that little bit of kind of care and attention, feeling that their estate is a special place, is so important. At the moment, Britain in Bloom's got 300,000 volunteers throughout the UK, but we're so keen for more people to join. So the easiest way is to go onto our website, so that's rhs.org.uk forward slash get involved. And whether it's a school, it's a community, it's a neighbourhood, everybody's really welcome to join up so that we can grow more food throughout the UK. We as a nation have disconnected with the art of growing. It's time now we reconnect with it and make food part of our consciousness, food part of our responsibility, food part of our community. That's what this Royal Horticultural Society campaign is all about. Raymond Blanc, Sue Biggs and Carol Wright with the White Cross Estate Edible Britain Gardeners. You can find out more about Edible Britain, including advice on soil preparation, sowing and ideas for making the most of your edible area on the community gardening pages of our website at rhs.org.uk. I'm Tony Dickerson and you're listening to the RHS Gardening Podcast. So now that spring has finally arrived, what job should you be doing in your garden now? Here's some ideas from the team at RHS Garden Wisley. Hello, I'm uh, Andrew Salisbury. I'm senior entomologist here at Wisley Garden, and um, I deal with all things pesty and uh, garden wildlife. One of the big pests at the moment is lily beetle, which has started to emerge over the past month and will soon be laying eggs. Uh, and then it'll get its um, its larvae covered in a slimy black excrement, feeding on your lilies and fritillaries. The adult beetle itself is quite a pretty beetle, about a centimetre long and bright red. They basically eat the lim- lilies. 
basically eating all the leaves. They can eat every bit of foliage, uh, even the green on the stem, the flower buds, uh, and even the flowers can be eaten. Well, control of the lily beetle is, is really, you've got a choice of two things. You can either, either go out there and manually remove them, i.e. handpick them and destroy them, or you can uh, use a suitable insecticide. Another pest that becomes prominent in uh, May is the viburnum beetle. And this has a life cycle where it overwinters on eggs, uh, as eggs on the, um, on the stems of the plants. Those eggs hatch as soon as the weather begins to warm up, usually in about May and the leaves begin to appear. You then get um, green and black spotted grubs feeding away on the viburnum foliage. Uh, those grubs then mature in about uh, June or July time, drop off into the soil, pupate, and then you can get the adult beetle uh, come back to the plants in uh, July and August. But that doesn't really cause as much damage as the larvae in the spring. Uh, treatment there really is to spray the plants with the suitable insecticide as soon as you see damage in May. My name is Matthew Pottage. I'm one of the garden managers here at RHS Garden Wisley. So a question we've been getting quite a bit in the gardens after having quite a few weeks of cold weather is people have gone out, they've pruned their clematis and they've got new growth coming on them but then they've been clipped by these frosts we've been having and by these cold winds and in essence don't worry about it clematis are quite hardy plants you will see some almost scorching or some black tips to those shoots they will generally grow back through that and push on as the warmer weather allows but it is unfortunate when things start to wake up early i've seen a bit of it on the hydrangeas as well these cold conditions have nipped things back bear with them hopefully they'll come back and and display as normal My name's Lucy Ponsford and I work here at Wisley. I'm a horticulturalist and I look after the canal area, the front of house. At the moment I'm seeing a project through that we started in National Gardening Week. It's uh, part of the, the RHS plug for um, annual seeds and, uh, and it started with a concept um, from a poem, the Edward Lear poem, The Jumblies. Um, and we have structures within the shape that have the poem words written on it and the colours are themed according to the poem which was their hands are blue and their faces are green and they went to see in a sieve we have lovely colour ribbons running through the um, through the display you can walk through the central grassed area and either side you've got greens and blues and floriferous um, orange mixes with the cannas and dahlias we also have two birch structures one's a tunnel with words from the poem written on the outside and the other is a sieve so that the kids can look out and be actually in amongst what will be a sea of flowers by the end of July you've got two different ways of, of sowing annual seeds you can either broadcast and this is what we do with meadows and that is a fantastic way to do it but you can't see where the weeds are and you can't keep on top of those weeds so by sowing in drills and that is a small little channel you create with a hoe or a rake um, or the side of a spade and it's only about two inches deep and then you sow your seed in the bottom of that drill and then top it with sand and the great thing with the sand is it prevents slugs it prevents pigeons coming in and eating those seeds and it prevents weed seeds germinating underneath your seed and also you can see very clearly where you've sown so it's a great technique to um to sow annuals and get a really posh display lucy ponsford matthew pottage and andrew salisbury don't forget there's further practical seasonal advice on our website rhs.org.uk where you can also find video guides to key jobs in the garden you're listening to the rhs gardening podcast now, if you're taking a break from the garden or fancy taking in some activities further afield, 
Here's some ideas of events to get involved with at our four RHS gardens in the coming weeks. Treat yourself over the bank holiday weekend, May 4th to 6th, with a visit to the craft and design fairs at Rosemore, Hyde Hall, Harlow Car and Wisley. Choose from a wide range of beautiful and original gifts, including handmade jewellery, felt, textiles, cards, photography and more. Hyde Hall also has a spring plant fair over May bank holiday weekend. Browse and buy quality plants from specialist nurseries. RHS advisors will be on hand to answer your gardening questions and help with plant identification. On the 10th of May, you can get to grips with summer with our demonstration and talk at Rosemore, including plantings for summer display, growing tomatoes and cucumbers in the glass, staking herbaceous perennials and planting seasonal containers. Details of all these events, as always, are on the website rhs.org.uk. 2013 is also the centenary year of the RHS Chelsea Flower Show, which runs from the 21st to the 25th of May. To celebrate, we'll have a special series of podcasts on Chelsea, which will be available on iTunes and at rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast from Tuesday the 21st of May. Every month on the RHS Gardening Podcast, the RHS advisory team answers some of your gardening questions. The advisory service is free to RHS members. I'm now joined by horticultural advisor Rebecca Mealy. So let's see what questions you need answered this month. So, Martin Rush from Testerfield. In your podcast, you discussed growing wildflowers. I haven't got room for a meadow. Are there any wildflowers I can grow in containers or hanging baskets to give my bees and butterflies a treat? Hmm. Containers be certainly uh, quite limited in terms of the amount of compost and so on. If you had something like a, a small bed or whatever, then virtually any wildflower, uh, ideally located in sun. I mean, there are wildflowers that will grow in shade and many of the specialist suppliers will be able to offer ranges suited for shade but most wildflowers will want a bit of sun but if you're looking at a container or a hanging basket you probably need plants which are a little bit smaller in stature and easier to accommodate and in fact once again so long as they're not going to outgrow the space available great big range bird's foot trefoil often quite a weed in lawns but in a container fantastic little plant yellow flowers pea like flowers often with a little hint of orange or red there and nice clover like uh, leaves so again something that say in the lawn would be a bit of a menace in a hanging basket would be certainly very attractive so with the soil would you probably recommend using a low nutrient soil or maybe just digging down and finding some, a subsoil from your garden i think actually the thing about wildflowers and low nutrients is in the open garden or at ground the problem is that grasses will always tend to invade and outcompete. but i think if we're looking at a container again there's no reason why you shouldn't use a john innes number two or three potting compost it'll prolong the display might mix in a little bit of grit or sand just to open it up but i think that sort of mix would give the plants plenty of nutrients throughout the summer and um, you know thinking about some of the other options really lots of them there's the cornfield type plants like corn marigold and corn cockle talking again about weeds something like the common plantain which is a terrible weed of lawns again in a container or hanging basket up close it's a fascinating little plant in terms of its uh, leaves with very heavily veined leaves and the flowers which i guess you'd describe as interesting rather than dramatic uh, <laughs> almost like cigars with little white stamens on them but uh, again plants that might be regarded as weeds in the uh, garden or lawn can actually look very good in containers i'm carol clemmerer from west hampstead um i have a pseudosassa japonica which i've had for about 20 years i was told it was a clump former 
and after 15 years it decided to run up to 10 feet from the clump that it was originally. It's coming up all over the place. I've tried to kill it with a root killer, uh, sprayed the leaves to some, with some success. Um, now I'd like to know what chemical to use that will really kill it. Right. Okay. Um, bamboos, they're wonderful plants, great architectural features in the garden, but if you get the wrong one, then it, they're just absolute menace. And unfortunately, um, pseudo-sasso is one of the very worst, so you were particularly poorly informed there. Um, the trouble with bamboo, in theory, you can spray them with glyphosate, a common systemic uh, herbicide which can be sprayed onto the leaves, but of course, a bamboo six, eight, ten feet high is very difficult to spray and the leaves of bamboo don't really take up the herbicide very well. But in recent years there's been a new product on the market, uh, a tree stump and root killer and you can actually apply it direct to the canes by cutting the cane a foot or so from the ground, sticking a bit of thick wire down the middle to break there are tissues that run across the cane but you ram the the wire down the middle to break that and then with the pipette that comes with the chemical you just dribble a few drops of the neat liquid onto the cut one or two down the middle any that falls onto the soil it's going to be deactivated it won't damage any plants so unlike spraying which is very difficult you're directing exactly to the uh, bamboo the downside is you've got to treat every cane so you've got to cut them it's a job for a sunny afternoon in late august or september uh, very laborious but if you treat each one it's a product that i find highly effective against really invasive bamboos and the secret this summer is let the bamboo grow don't be tempted to keep cutting it or trying to dig it up you won't succeed in digging it up or very unlikely but if you can wait until the autumn treat it with that product it's likely that the following spring you'll see little if any sign of it okay thank you very much we have a, a question from Naomi fletcher from north london She'd like some suggestions for attractive plants uh, with evening scent for their corner of a small London garden. Uh, Something that they can actually enjoy in the evenings with a glass of wine after work. And uh, they think that their property is south-facing. So um, do we have some ideas there, Becky? Ooh, well, honeysuckle would be quite a good start, wouldn't it? Certainly honeysuckle, classic, um, very good one there. Any of the jasmines are certainly well worth considering and say nothing better in terms of scent itself. Uh, there's also very well-known plants, herbaceous plants, such as Verbena bonariensis, which again will have a good evening uh, scent. A uh, tall plant, uh, three, four feet high, masses of purple flowers, uh, very attractive and goes on for week after week, month after month from summer right to the first frost. So, And, and then carrying on with the herbaceous theme, so flocks... They're very nice, light scented. You have white, and they're about what about a meter tall. Uh, and also with the white, then you have quite a nice reflectiveness. So in the, of an evening, it, it bring light to the actual garden as well. So they're, they're quite nice. And uh, of course, if we're talking about herbaceous plants, perhaps the best group of all, or one of the best groups, are the tobacco plants, Nicotiana, um, Nicotiana sylvestris six seven feet high great sprays of white flowers but fortunately today for the smaller gardens then the breeders have produced plants which are little more than a foot or so high in a mass of different colors so again a, a very good choice and they're also very easy to grow from seed so you can grow your own that's it and if not then the sort of thing you'll find good garden centers as well 
It's uh, Christopher Simmons from Epsom. It's about this time last year, I bought some bags of John Innes ericaceous compost to put in a trough as I've got chalky soil. But I didn't get around to doing it. And I wonder if it's okay to use them now, uh, over a year old. They've been left sealed, they haven't been opened, and they've been left outside. Mm. Um, this is a question we're, we're often asked. And I guess the bottom line here is because compost is fairly cheap and plants and seeds are relatively expensive, if in doubt, if the compost didn't appear to be in good condition, I would just spread it in the open garden or whatever on the on the beds. Um, if it's been sealed and it's relatively dry or, you know, it hasn't become saturated, because this is the problem, if you leave bags outside... Um, they have perforations in them they will become damp and the problem with that is that uh, they tend to go sour Uh, there's not much air in there a lot of the fertilizer will gradually break down so it may not be that easy to work with or to use and i'd certainly say if you're planting seed or whatever or young seedlings i'd always buy fresh bags um for containers and so on, I say if it's in reasonable condition and it doesn't appear to have got too wet, then the fertilizer in it should not have broken down too much, in which case I would probably use it. But it's always the case because, as a seedlings and so on are so sensitive that if in doubt, much better to just spread it on the garden or add it to the compost bin rather than so uh, a range of expensive seeds only for them to topple over and uh, die on you. Okay, thanks very much. My name is O'Halloran, I'm from Romford in Essex, and my question relates to high potash fertilisers. We're often told to apply this to plants, and I just my question really is, is that just a normal, a normal um, tomato fertiliser? Uh, tomato fertilisers are typically high in potassium, potash, and that's uh, applied to encourage good fruit development whereas something like nitrogen is applied to encourage leafy strong growth so if you're growing cabbages you apply plenty of nitrogen but for your tomatoes you don't want too much leaf you want the fruit to develop now the secret is whatever fertilizer you're buying if you look on the packaging there'll be a formula it's called the npk formula and it's three lots of figures and they're they're a ratio the the n is for nitrogen the P is for uh, uh, phosphates and the K is for potassium. And now for anything that you want to put on your tomatoes, you're looking for a relatively high K number, potassium, potash number. And so that'll be on any uh, packaging of fertiliser and it's a way of comparing them. So say on your cabbages, you want plenty of nitrogen, but on your tomatoes, you want plenty of potash. And it will vary but it's a ratio typically for example you might find something that has 5 5 10 on it now what that would tell you is that the 10 is the the potash the potassium and that's much higher than the other two numbers so that's a potash rich fertilizer if it was the other way around with the first number 10 and the other two 5 it would tell you that it's a a nitrogen rich fertilizer and these days, if you're really keen, you can, for example, get fertilisers for agapanthus or for potatoes and all manner of crops. But if you look at this NPK formula, you can actually see what you're getting and what you're buying. 
plants don't read the labels, but if you read the label, you can usually make sure that you're getting an adequate product, good product, uh, simply based on this NPK formula. Okay, thank you. Remember that the RHS advisory team are here to answer your questions on everything from growing plants, solving gardening problems, identifying plants and much more. RHS members receive personal advice on any gardening matter and we can be reached by phone, email or by writing to us. For more information on becoming a member of the RHS, go to rhs.org.uk forward slash join. Well, that's almost it for this edition of the RHS Gardening Podcast. But before we go, we have time for another of our plant passions. We caught up with RHS President Elizabeth Banks and garden enthusiast Michael Heseltine at the RHS's annual award ceremony to discover which spring plants they just cannot live without. One of my favourite plants is a little bulb called Blue Scylla bifolium and it has carpets of the brightest blue you've ever seen. It is quite spectacular and we have meadows of it. So I'm very lucky and it flowers with the snowdrops and this year... It's been flowering with the snowdrops and the daffodils, which is very unusual because it usually comes out in March. It's that sort of herald of spring, and you know that spring's round the corner, so it's quite beautiful. This is Michael Heseltine. Well, I always hate answering that question. It seems so unfair to the many, many things I love. But if I'm really up against the wall, it's Magnolia Wilsonite. Well, it's such incredible elegance and serenity. The wonderful colour contrast between that very sharp white and uh, the, the, the deep purple centres. Fantastic. Well, thanks for joining us once again for the RHS Gardening Podcast. On the next edition, we'll be discovering how to grow plants for scent in the garden, and we'll also have the latest seasonal advice from the team here at RHS Garden Wisley. Until then, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at the underscore RHS and like us on Facebook. And also, keep an ear out for our series of Chelsea Centenary Specials. For now, though, from me, Tony Dickerson, and the rest of the team here at RHS Garden Wisley, goodbye. I'm walking down the path in my garden, and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. 
and you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply. <laughs>